Good morning. I haven't been here for a while. Well, I have been here for a while. You haven't been here for a while. I'm joking. <laughs> um, there's just something I feel, um, I, I don't know if you sense it, but just here at the end of worship, there was a real thin, very thin heaven's presence. Um, and it's as if the heavens just opened up. And it's, I just saw the gardener coming in to this garden, this house, and he was picking out weeds. And the one thing that he highlighted to me, which I'm just quickly going to chase after before I start with my sermon, um, was depression. And I feel there's people in this house that's struggling with depression, but listen very, very good to the word. It's the spirit of depression. Now, depression is not a good thing, so if it's a spirit of depression, it's most probably a demon that's stealing your joy. So some of us, we have depression, but that's a medical depression. Some of us, it's literally a spirit that came against you, but either way, God is the healer for both. So I'm going to chase after that, and I just want you guys, if, if you all would stand with me, we're just going to, it's literally, I feel the Lord wants to get that one and kill it. It's already dead. He just wants to say to it. So, Father God, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your authority. And, Lord, I just stand now in the gap, Lord, and I call on depression to bow your knees to Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone struggle. The spirit of depression, go in the name of Jesus. You are not welcome. You are not welcome. His Father, we just cover every person that struggles with depression with your blood. And we proclaim into the heavens, into every realm, see the blood of Jesus. It's perfect. Go. You will not steal anymore. You will not kill anymore. You will not destroy anymore. Go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want you guys to mark today, those of you that feel that was the word for you, mark today in your journals, make note of that day, and then from now on forward, write down how your life has changed since the Spirit has left your life. Just write it down. We need to document the miracles of Jesus. It's important so that we can remind ourselves constantly of His goodness towards us, constantly about how much He loves us, because every miracle is just pointing to a loving God. Every miracle is just pointing to a loving God. He just loves. He just loves. I'm going to share with you a little testimony. Maybe not the little one. <laughs> um, we have a lot of people from across South Africa that follow us. Um, follow is not a good word, but knows about us and has invited us to come and minister um, right across the country. One of those places was um, a very small town called Lurisfontein in the north. Um, I think I told some Lurisfontein stories before. They um, promoted us as, a heal as healers. And so we, when he drove into the town the weekend of the ministry, our faces was plastered against the lamppost. Come to the healing service, <laughs> Linda Stoffel. I was like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> you've got this covered. And um, the Saturday morning was the healing service, and the, the whole community rocked up, everyone, all 60, 80 of those people, not because they want to get healed, but because they wanted to persecute us. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't heal today. So Stoffel, luckily, that's the fun part of being a female in a very male-dominant country, is that I don't, I don't have to lead these things. <laughs> so Stoffel was stepping up, and he was starting to preach about it, and about healing, and you can just see these people. It's a Burechemienskap, if you haven't missed that cue. They're sitting with their two-town shirts, and they're going all bigger, and like, mm -mm. 
and he's trying, pulling out all the scriptures, and it's literally like the God of that region, which is knowledge, um, was holding its back against Ophel. You will not come in here. No healing will happen here. And then he went to sit down next to me, and he's like, Linda. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, the wife, submissive. <laughs> and he says to me, I need, I need you to prophesy over all these, just prophesy. So I stood up, and I'm like, Jesus, this must be you. And I started right, it was about 60 people, between 60, 80 people, right in the back with the women in the furthest of the back, the grootste women, swooshed. And I started prophesying over each person. The Lord just gave me grace to prophesy, and it opened the heavens. And Stoffel stepped up and said, right, now we're going for healings. And just, it just broke out. One guy's leg grew past the other leg. The one with a shorter grew past the other leg. And then Stoffel's like, do you want to be tall or short? You need to choose now. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just this miraculous. Lakima got healed. It was just people. One lady went back to her home, and she's like, why is the TV so loud? Then she realized she was deaf, and it just got healed in the meeting. No, no one prayed for her. So that miracle is still going strong in Lurie's Fontaine. There's still lots of healings happening. They just kept, just ran with it, you know, just kept on running with it. And we received a call about a month before we leave for Israel that one of these members, their sibling, now remember these were people who persecuted the healing of God. Their sibling lives here in Kleinmont and she's been diagnosed with cancer. Can Stoffel and I go and pray for her? And I'm like, yeah, this sounds like a Stoffel thing to do. <laughs> so, um, so I had to go to the Karua, and Stoffel went to pray for this lady. And it's very typical, you know, it's someone else's sibling. So she's still in the old covenant that God doesn't heal. And Stoffel went to pray for her. And just before we left for Israel, we got a report back that her cancer count went down. Isn't it just amazingly beautiful how faithful God stays with, with his word, his promises toward his people. He really wants to heal. He really wants to bless. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. So this morning I have a message that's been burning on my heart. And I've been in a little bit of a battle about how am I going to bring this across? How am I going to share what he's been revealing to me? And then he said to me, you don't have to worry. I've been busy with it for a while in the hearts of the people. And my title of my sermon is called The Pursuit of the Bridegroom. And if you go look into the different sermons that's been preached the last couple of weeks in hechurch.ca.za, <laughs> you will see that this has become a theme. And this morning while I was just sitting with the Lord, I felt, your Lord, I am so amazingly blessed that you've chose this house to reveal this message about because it's a blessing. He's revealing his bridegroom. The, the whole end times, which we are in part, they, that's not my photo, but that's a beautiful picture of a bride. Um, the last end days that we are part, with, part of today, it's all about the revealing of the risen Christ. So we're in the, in the middle of the revealing of the risen Christ. And the one thing that's going missing is God, Jesus, the bridegroom. And Stoffel has been preaching on Song of Songs, and a lot of other people came in. And every time I just saw this golden thread of a, a bridegroom saying, My bride, I want you. I want you. I'm engaged to you. You are everything to me. You are the center of my existence. This is Jesus speaking. I gave my life to you. I bought you. You're mine. And my desire is that we would start walking into that revelation of his love towards us as a bridegroom loves his bride. So 
As Almi said, we went to Israel, and um, it was fun. It's my second time with Hepzibah. So Hepzibah's coming next week. Please come. You don't want to miss this. She's funny, and she's very powerful. <laughs> so she came to visit us yesterday, and she started prophesying halfway through a cup of coffee. I'm like, I need a cell phone. <laughs> you can't just start prophesying. I need to record all of this. Anyway, so, um, so we went to Israel, and what I love about Israel is this is the way I approached the first time. The first time, I'm, I'm not very big on the Jewish things. I don't, I, I believe in Galatians. It says you don't need the Jews. You don't need to become, a, you don't need to circumcise yourself to be part of my, I believe Jesus has done it on the cross, a perfect job. So I'm not one of those people that follow Jewish traditions. I, I like Shabbat. It's a good idea because then we can rest. You know, Shabbat is quite hectic in Jerusalem. You know, it's really like we were in a hotel. We arrived in Jerusalem on Shabbat, no? Now, you need to know Almi, she loves coffee. So when Shabbat starts, no coffee machine is allowed to be switched on. No coffee machine. In the whole of Jerusalem, no coffee machine. And she needs her coffee. And then in this hotel, we're staying on the seventh floor, and there's an elevator, because they're not allowed to touch any buttons. There's an elevator that opens his doors on every floor so that the Jews just can climb in and out of the elevator, not allowing to touch any buttons. And I think we sent one person up with that elevator by, by mistake. We're like, you go. And then after a while, he's like, <laughs> like every door <laughs> is opening and closing. So by the Saturday morning, without me without coffee, I said to the guide, you need to get coffee quick, quick for this woman because she's not going to listen to anything you say. She's like, I need coffee. So we went to Bethlehem, that's the Palestinian part, and they can switch on their coffee machines. So we had some coffee just to survive. So Shabbat is, a, is an amazing principle, but it's very legalistic. Um, I'm, I much more prefer just to rest in God, and that's what he says. Jesus says, I've become the Sabbath. I've become the Shabbat. You can rest in me. But it's also a good idea to have a jammy day once a week where you don't climb out of your jammies and just stay and sleep and read a book and whatever, just to rest, because that's also part of, yeah, it's also part of being human is to take care of yourself. But what's beautiful about Israel, um, for me, I'm not big into the feasts. I know it's Yom Kippur. Someone said it to me. I know it was now something else, Yom Shagadan, I don't know. Feast of Trumpets also coming up. Not big in those things. So why I wanted to go to Israel didn't make sense. Because a lot of people that go to Israel want to go see all the feasts and all those things and blah, blah, blah. I just wanted to go to Israel. And then I realized the reason for it is because that's where my bridegroom comes from. And when I got to start dating my beautiful husband, I wanted to see where he grew up. I wanted to go see what, what, what happened in his life. So he took me to this very awful town called Karatra, <laughs> where he grew up. Yeah, I was quite shocked. I'm thankful I met him after that phase. <laughs> but it shaped him in who he is today. It shaped him in what, how he sees the world today. He compux, Almi. So to me, Israel is one of those journeys. My mother-in-law came with us this time around, and when she prayed about coming to Israel, the Lord just said, I want you to show you where I, where's my house. So she had this maze, massive, amazing moment with Jesus in Nazareth, where Jesus lived. Um, so to me, going to Israel is to literally see, oh goodness, this is where he changed the water into wine. 
Oh, my word, here he walked on the water. You know, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a bridegroom. He walked on water here, he changed water in wine here, made the blind walk see here. You know, it's kind of a different story. But what is beautiful about Israel, because it's such a living country, because it's a living God that everyone looks at when they go to Israel. It's a living God. Even though the Jews still believe the Messiah hasn't come, they still look at a living God. Um, there's lots of encounter moments. And what amazes and wrecks my mind, every person has a different encounter moment. I know like with um, Stoffel, his encounter moment was at the Mount of Transfiguration. And when you go and listen to every story, each one of them had a different moment where Jesus showed them something very unique to their journey with God. Isn't that beautiful? He meets you specifically beautifully where you are at. He meets you in the country and he says, hey, you know when you value this, this is where it comes from. This is how I value it. And it just integrates beautifully with that. So going to Israel, the one morning, now we had an amazing guide. She was a Messianic Jew, so she doesn't celebrate Shabbat. (laughs) Um, And... She um, was also a study a student in the antiquities, as she calls it. So she knows all the history of Israel, everything. She knows the biblical history. She knows the Hebrew well. Obviously, she knows the Jewish culture well. So when she starts speaking, and she's a spirit-filled Christian, so she follows the Holy Spirit like this. When she starts speaking, it literally feels like a glory cloud just comes on that bus, and you're like, say, say some more, say some more, say some more. And then the one morning, she came to us just before we went to the second day in Jerusalem, before we went to the pool of Bethesda, that morning before the day we went to that pool. She came to us and she said, you know, there was only two miracles that was documented in, um, sorry, I want to cry about this one, in Jerusalem through Jesus' ministry. There was only two miracles that was documented in Jerusalem that Jesus did in Jerusalem through his whole ministry. Um, she said it to, I, I think she said it to the group, and she said, I want you guys to go and see what kind of miracles it were and why. Now, Stoffel is like, no, that's not true. He just didn't do just two miracles in Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. And then we start looking through it, and it's true. There's only two miracles that was documented that Jesus did in Jerusalem. And immediately this got my attention. So she left us to go and look through the scriptures and to find it. I don't know if anyone else did, but Stoff and I were in our Bibles. We're like, this woman is lying. We've got Anna. We need to sort out Anna and going through the scriptures. And it's true. There was only two miracles that Jesus did, documented. Maybe he did some more, but documented in Jerusalem. And the two miracles was the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and the blind man at Siloam or Salawam, another pool. I was in that pool, it's crazy dark in that pool. Not fun with Bernard, wasn't fun, and Almi. And I was amazed. I was like, Jesus, why? Such random things. And you go read through the stories, I think it's in John 5 and 9 are the two stories. The man at the pool of Bethesda he was lame for 30 plus years. And how it worked, there was an angel that stirred the water, and the first person that fell into the water, he got healed. But because he was lame, he couldn't get through the pool. 
And Jesus obviously noticed him, and he said to him, why are you lying here? You know, Jesus, know nothing but knows all things. Why are you lying here? And he says, but I, don't, I can't get to the front. No one is willing to carry me. And he says, pick up your mat and walk. Do you want to get healed? Pick up your mat and walk. And this guy picks up his mat, and he goes, off he goes. Healed, walking. And the other story is where he encounters a blind man. This is a quite interesting story because I don't know what Jesus did. He healed him. And he said, go wash off the clay at the pool of Suleyam. I don't know what to say. And he says, go. Yeah, Suleyam. What's the name of my name? And he says, go and wash your eyes out there. And absolute blessing from Jesus. The guy didn't see it was Jesus who did it. And it also happened on the Sabbath. The lame guy got healed on the Sabbath. This guy got healed on the Sabbath. So you can imagine the Pharisees going cray-cray. Like, why are you carrying your mat? Never mind, I didn't walk before. He was lame for 30 years. So obviously a lot of people knew that this guy's a lame guy. Now he's walking around. So they're not concerned with that. They're more concerned with why are you carrying your mat? Legalism, religion. Why are you carrying... And he's like, um, I'm carrying my mat. Notice my legs working. <laughs> and the same with the guy from Salem. He, um, he didn't see it was Jesus that put stuff on his eyes. So when they said to him, how can you see on the Sabbath day? You know, this guy can see on a Sabbath day. Blind, see. Sabbath day. They don't even notice that. They're noticing, who did this miracle on the Sabbath day? Was this Jesus? Luckily for this, for Jesus, he couldn't see. He didn't know who spit in his eyes. <laughs> so... So only afterwards, when Jesus found him in the temple, both were found in the temple, he said to him, it was me. And then he ran to the Pharisees and said, yes, it was Jesus that healed me. But the lying guy went out and fell down in front of Jesus and said, you are the Lord. It is beautiful, this story, this miracle. You can go and read through it. And I was like... Why those two miracles? And then she said to us, go read 2 Samuel 5 or 6, and I want you guys to go and read it with me. You know, this morning I found Samuel today. It's gone an hour later. Can't find Samuel. So this is the story, just to caught up with the story. This is David's, King David, the man after God's heart. Now, once again, why was King David the man after God's heart? He pursued intimacy in a time where intimacy wasn't available to the people. When you were an Israeli or a, a Jewish person, you were only allowed, still to today, to pray in the synagogue. So here, here David was praying in the fields worshiping in the fields. He didn't go through the cleansing rituals to approach God. He just went. So he walked into a revelation that us, the New Covenant Church people, have today because of the cross. David walked into that way before the time of the cross. And because of that, God allowed it. And he was called the man after my own heart because David got something. It's about intimacy. It's about a God that wants to reveal himself to the people. And I want to see that God. So David walked in that revelation way, way before it was available 
Isn't that beautiful how God just works? It's like, I see this guy. He's not going to follow all the mikvahs and celebration stuff and stuff. So I'm just going to give him what his heart's desire is. I'm going to give him me. Way before it was available. And this is the King David now. He's taking over Israel and Jerusalem. And his one city left. And you can catch with me in verse 6. The conquest of Jerusalem. And the king and his men, so where's David? He's in the city of David at this moment, looking at Jerusalem right in front of him. City of David and Jerusalem are very close to one another. It's not the same, but it's very close to one another. So he's in the city of David, about to conquer Jerusalem, looking into Jerusalem, saying, this is the last city that I want to claim the whole of Israel back to my nation, to Israel, Israelites. And he's looking at, at Jerusalem, and what did Jerusalem have? Big, thick walls. So this is the king speaking in six, um, 5 verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, this is the king say, speaking to David, you will never conquer this wall. He was so arrogant. You will never conquer this wall. I will prove to you that you will never be able to conquer this wall. I will put the lame and the blind on the walls to guard the walls. That's how arrogant this king was. I'm going to put the lame and the blind on the wall to conquer the walls, to protect the walls against you. Lame can't walk, so they can't fight. Blind can't see, so they can't fight. So it was almost like, David... You want to conquer Jerusalem? And this is what David does, the man after God's heart. You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. This is the king speaking, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took, took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. He should be the chief and the captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall never come into the house. So what happened here? You need to see this. David is outside in his city. He's looking at Jerusalem and he's saying, I'm going to claim you. And then he's the man of the God's heart. The king of Jerusalem says, Ach, nooit nie, David. Have you seen these walls? So arrogantly I am, innocent people, lame and blind, I'm going to put on the wall to repel you. And then David says, I hate the lame and the, the, lame and the blind. They will never go into the temple of God. That means they were never allowed into God's presence. So he goes through the water shaft, which ends up in the pool of Shalom, and he conquers Jerusalem. And from that day, the lame and the blind was never allowed to go into the temple. What does Jesus do? He redeems it. Isn't that beautiful? He goes straight to the lame and the blind at the pools, and he says, you are redeemed, go to the temple you are redeemed, go into the presence. You are redeemed, come back. This is the king of redemption. He did this. You know what is so beautiful? When you travel Israel, you hear all these prophetic words, Ezekiel and all these people, and you see how the prophetic words are being filled, fulfilled in the last days. This one was hidden. No one knows about this one. 
It's hidden. And I, and I listened to Anna when she saw, spoke, and something in my heart leaped, and I heard the bridegroom pursuing the bride. He's paying every cent. He's doing every action. He's fulfilling every curse that was spoken over his people, over people. He's redeeming it so that you can be found without fault. Not only found without fault, but with innocence. What's the difference? Being found without fault means there's not enough evidence found against you to find you guilty. To be found as innocent means you were not even in the country when the crime was committed. It can't be you. So Jesus did absolutely everything from his side. As a human, God incarnated. Everything from his side to redeem every curse, every negative thing that comes against mankind since Adam's fall, he redeemed it in his human bodily form. To go to the cross as the perfect sacrifice. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? What this thing woke in my, in my heart was there's nothing that you can add. There's nothing that you can add. There's absolutely nothing that you can add. Because we didn't even know about this. So if you can try out of your own strength to come and get, try and get to God, you would have missed this one, the redemption of the blind and the lame, because it's not public. So there's nothing... Nothing that you can add to the salvation story of Jesus Christ. It's the bridegroom pursuing his bride. It's the bridegroom chasing us down. And he's paying the ultimate perfect price for us to stand in his glory. That's it. That's all we can do. He can't add anything. You can fast for 500 days. It won't add anything. You can pray in tongues for 680 hours, it won't add everything. All those things, fasting, praying in tongues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, is wedding gifts that he's giving to his bride and say, hey, you beautiful woman, would you mind just using this gift to bless your life? That's what it is. It's not supposed to be operated as works. It's not supposed to be operated like, let me shabba, 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 fall down wall, shabba, shabba. No, it's gifts. From a, from a bridegroom saying, my beautiful bride, adorn yourself with these gifts. Shine. Now this beautiful bridegroom won't have an ugly bride. Ne? He won't have an ugly bride. There's Afrikaans saying that says, swirt suk swirt. He's beautiful. When he pitches up, you know... <laughs> We were having such a giggle. We literally at one stage couldn't believe that people were so blind not to see Jesus living in Israel. At one stage, I was just like, these people, this must be a spirit. Because choosing not to see Jesus living in the land of the promise just doesn't make sense. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and Judas betrayed him with a kiss, intimacy. And they were about to come and arrest him. Peter, we think it was Peter. They don't mention the name, but we think it's Peter. It was Peter. Cut off the guy's ear. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're operating out of the wrong spirit. I operate out of the spirit of love, and he restores the ear. 
of the servant of the high priest. But what is more beautiful, they were like, all this commotion is happening. Judas already betrayed him with a kiss, and then they ask, and then Jesus asks, Who are you looking for? And they say, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And go read it. When he said, I am, they fell down. Because you cannot stand in the presence of I am and stand. No one can. Sinner or saint, you cannot stand in the presence of I am in a true, true revelation of Jesus and stand. That's how gloriously beautiful he is. That's how beautiful he is. So his bride, who is a replica of the bridegroom, must be glorious and beautiful. She must be. Who is his bride? We are his bride. So I want to take you to, on a journey um, that Stoffel started. I think Stoffel got to the first verse, Song of Songs 1 verse 1. <laughs> and if we go read through Song of Songs, you'll see why Stoffel got stuck at verse 1. Because <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, see, what we need to know about Jesus is that the language of God, God has three different languages, not English, Chinese or Poza, whatever, Afrikaans. His three languages are pictures. He uses parables, allegories, pictures to communicate a message. He uses his son to communicate a message. Look at Jesus. Today, as Christians, the only person that you can see yourself in the Bible is Jesus. Not Peter, not John, Jesus. Why? Because you became one with him. So you want to see yourself? Go find Jesus in the Bible. And that's how he speaks to us, is through his son. This is Jesus' standard, speaking through his son. And then the third one is Revelation. He speaks through revelation. Now, a lot of us Christians used to say things like, you know, we have it in here, but must drop down to here, you know? It just have to drop down. That this to this part is very far. But that's not true. Because the mind, if you don't bring your mind under Jesus, it's a horrible master. So if you grab something in your mind first before it drops into revelation, that is called religion. If you worship God out of your mind, oh, we must tithe, it's the thing to do. It's a mind thing. That is religion. Revelation comes from the Spirit. And it's a spirit-to-spirit communication. And we live out of our spirit out. That is living relationship. So I'm much more bigger on, rather out of revelation. And you know about the thing about revelation is you can't cap it. Like forgiveness. I, I spoke about this before. You think forgiveness is just forgiving someone. Oh boy, no. If you start tapping into the revelation of the action of, re, of forgiveness, it just opens up a whole new world. It gives you a new kind of authority. But you need to approach that with revelation. If you approach it with your cerebral mind, it's religion. 
And FYI, for your information, religion is a spirit. It's not a thinking pattern. It's a spirit. And anything that's not good comes from the devil. Sometimes we're so soft in religion. Oh, he's just religious. He gets over it. No, 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 my friend. That's a demonic spirit. Get rid of it. If you see it in your life, get rid of it. Because it kills, steals, and destroys. That's the only purpose of demonic spirits is to kill, steal, and destroy. So we don't operate out of our minds. I don't operate what I'm about to read to you through your mind. See it with your spirit. Go into your spirit and see it with your spirit. The Song of Songs. I love this book. I'm going to share my personal story with you as I read through this. When I got, I was just on Tuesday night, I was standing in the front, and I was just thinking about my year. Now, we've had one very busy, busy, busy year. <laughs> but twice in my year, this past year, I had the opportunity, and both times were with Almi, to worship with angels. Sylvia was with the one the other time. We were worshiping, and all of a sudden, angels stepped into the room, and they started worshiping with us. Angels are attracted to our worship, and the reason for that is because they 100% fully see God. They don't understand faith and grace. They don't know what faith and grace looks like. So they come into the room when we start worshiping him to see how faith and grace works. Because imagine what this picture looks like from angel's side. They see a perfect, glorious God and a fallen human being. They don't understand why the human beings didn't choose God. And all of a sudden, through grace, through one encounter with love, one encounter with grace, this person that was fallen becomes exactly like the God they worship. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus becomes one with the sinner and makes him a saint. And when we start worshiping, and we worship in spirit and in truth, it magnifies, it, it, it is the most beautiful thing for the angels, except for God. So they come into the room when we start worshiping to see what this looks like, to see how grace is acting out. Isn't that beautiful? So why am I going on about the angels? <laughs> yes. So I had twice this year, I had the opportunity to worship with angels. And you, it's beautiful to hear. You can, there's not, it's like the one group was about this size. Yeah? It was a little bit bigger than this group. And the music is playing, and when people actually sing together, you can hear, I'm almost Vicky Falls, he's a nuit, or a nuit, And all of a sudden, when the angels step in and they start worshiping, it's one big note, and it sounds like thousands of people. So they reach this note, and you, I can't go there, and they just release it, and it sounds like, and you literally, you can hear immediately, this is not the people singing anymore. The other time was at Bethel, and it was also lots of people singing, worshiping, and all of a sudden, it comes in, and they, oh, just this perfect pitch note, and it's masses of people. You get goosebumps when that happens. But you see what's beautiful about this experience is Paul says, even if you sound like angels and speak like angels, Yet you do not have love. You're like a clanging symbol. So even the epicness of being able to worship with angels doesn't come close to come to being able to stare into my lover's eyes. It doesn't come close. 
the intimacy and the beauty of my bridegroom staring at me, that tops everything. And my desire for us as a community is to start living into that intimate relationships, to live there. A lot of people get so excited because I do see angels, and then they come to me and they're like, tell me what angel. I'm like, yes, there's lots of angels in this room, but you know who's in you? Jesus. He trumps angels. Six love. A lot of people are so impressed with the supernatural. I'm like, beautiful, Jesus. And he made it easy for you to access him. Do we access him? So Linda is the Shulamite lady. Still full is Jesus. We can, do it, we can do it that way. He does look a lot, little bit like Jesus. I want to tell a funny story now about Israel, but I'll wait. Anyway, <laughs> when Stoff and I got engaged, the ring on my finger, I was a very broken woman, like really, really, really broken woman. There was a lot of stuff that went wrong in my life, and I was one of those people, religious person, that just shoved them down, you know? No, I'm gonna serve God, not look at all this. Serve God, serve Jesus. So I went into performance and performing and performing and performing and performing. I became the leader of leaders. Any residents on Stalemosh campus that you want to open up, Linda walk in. I even prophesied out of performance. And I got engaged to this love junkie, crazy about Jesus, man, that literally just sits and drinks tea. This is Stoffel's days and speaks to Jesus. That's how he spends his days. So I get engaged to this man who only moves when Jesus tells him to move, and we get in a fight, obviously, because I'm performing way there in front of everyone. I'm serving, I'm doing this, and I'm all this. Not that I say those things are wrong, but if you do it to get recognition, maybe not a good idea. Do it because you love. Anyway, and I get in a fight with my husband, or fiance. And all of a sudden, we're in a prayer meeting, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ask Jesus to sort this man out. And as I look down, I'm taken up into a vision. And in front of me stands Jesus. And he looks extremely worried, like more sad than worried. And he looks at me, and I'm like, I'm trying to cover myself. You know, don't look at me that way. Covering myself, like the Shulamite girl says here, Jerusalem maidens in the twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. So the moment Jesus speaks up, I started feeling shame, and I go repentance. Oh, forgive me for this, forgive me. And he just, he looks so sad. I'm bringing my filthy rags into this relationship with my bridegroom. Filthy rags, going into works, getting rid of all the stuff. And he just looks so sad, looking at me. And he says to me, may I touch you? And I'm like, my religious mind knows that I must say yes, but I don't know why he's asking. See, love always respects. Love always respects boundaries. So the reason why he was asking, because he needed me to choose him, not religiously, but out of a heart of, I want you. So as I was saying yes, he reached forward and he lifted up the mirror, which I guess was the word, and he showed me what I looked like. And I was cuts upon cuts upon cuts upon cuts as religion and performance was just hitting me. Shame, you're not good enough. I'm not worthy. Through my whole life, this is what I look like. And he said to me, I want to touch you. 
And then he reached forward and he touched me and the whole scene changed and I was in this beautiful hospital with angels ministering to me and giving me manna. Did you know that manna, the word manna means, what is it? Did you know that? What is this? Manna, what is this? So imagine you're a Jewish mom, Israelite, Israelite mom. Go get me some what is it while they were in the desert. Go get me some what is it. You know, beautiful. Get me some what is it. Anyway, and in this room where I was with Jesus, he was sitting with me, looking at me, and there was this big flower of bouquet. And I was like, Lord, where does this come from? He's like, oh, I brought it to you. And it was lit- literally all the flowers from right across the world. He picked them and he brought them as a bridegroom. And right next to it was the small little, little, little flowers. I'm like, who's that? He's like, oh, that's Stoffel's flowers that he brought. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the Lord is trying to show me that the lover of my soul gives abundantly. The lover of my soul pours himself out abundantly. Even, even though Stoffel is a really good husband, he will never meet the standard of the lover of my soul. So I can't put that expectation on him as a husband. He will never meet that standard. The only standard that, can, that I yearn for, that I long for, is the lover of my soul, the bridegroom. So listen, here the Shulamite is saying in 1 verse 5, Jerusalem maidens in this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. And the shepherd king says, yet you are so lovely. And you see this action happening. She's going, I'm so bad, filthy rags, you know. We have to feel bad about ourselves before we enter into his presence. I'm so sinner, filthy rags. And every time she does it, he says, you are beautiful. You are magnificent. He just contradicts every time she says about something negative about herself. He comes and he says, no, my darling, this is who you are. This is who you are. So <laughs> we go about the Shulamite and the shepherd king, and there's one we can read here in verse 8, 1 verse 8. Listen, my radiant one. If you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and your cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherd. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. You are so thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like looking at the pharaoh's finest horses. That's a little bit strange, but anyway. And it goes on like this. Constantly, Shulamite crying out, king answering her. Shulamite crying out, king answering her. Let's skip forward to verse 2. Ah, Song of Solomon's 2. And here you can see she's starting to catch it. I'm truly his rose. I am. The very, very theme of his song. It's going to say it differently in your Bibles. I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation. I am overshadowed by his love growing in the valley. She's starting to catch on. She's like, maybe, this, maybe I am worthy of this. You are beautiful, my master. You are beautiful, my king. Then he answers, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, still you remain as pure as a lily, even more than all the others. 
And then she says, My beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree. He stands above the sons of men. Sitting under his grace shadow, I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with the light where his glory never fades. Suddenly, listen what he does. Suddenly she's taken up in a vision. She's spending time with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, and all of a sudden he's taking away, and he takes her. He transported me into his house of wine. Your Bible says banqueting table. It's actually also can be translated house of wine. And what does she do? She gets drunk with her bridegroom on the wine of love. Do you see this? Can you see it? This is people having fun. This is people just enjoying one another. There's no, you should do this, Jesus. You must do this for me, Jesus. They're just like, let me drink wine with you. Let me celebrate you. Let me, and allowing, and this is what we really struggle with. If you struggle with shame, you struggle with allowing the King of Kings to celebrate you. Allowing him to pour out his love on you. You know what is beautiful? As we go on and reading this story, Eventually, he comes over the hills, and she's like sitting there relaxing, and then she looks, and it's like, oh, here he comes, bounding over the hills, coming towards me, the love of my life. And then he says to her, come with me, my darling, my bride. Come with me. I want to take you up the mountain in the middle of the night, dark. And she looks at this whole scenario, and she's like, mm, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm afraid of the dark. I'll stay here. You go. So what, this is what we do. We start operating in our fear and we start pushing away. Oh, no, no, God, you can't bring that blessing upon my life. Oh, no, no, God, you can't expect me to walk there. No, 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 no. Fear pushes him away and says, mm-mm. But what does fear drive? What, does, what drives out fear? Love. Perfect, perfect love drives out fear. So we see what happens at Song of Songs 3. Night after night, Shulamite speaking, I'm tossing and turning on my bed of travail. Why did I let him go from me? How my heart now aches for him. Haven't you experienced this before in your own life? You come close and all of a sudden it's too intense. And you're like, no, 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 no. And you go run away again. It so often happens in the presence. I've seen it today in the worship. All of a sudden heaven comes down and you're like, I have to check my phone. Or let me check, you, you just disengage. Because you see, what does love do? It exposes. But it never exposes without a solution. So love exposes. It says, hey, you're believing a lie here. But let me expose it to refill it with truth. Mimi, Mimi, Mimi. <laughs> Fuchs calls her Mimi and me mama. We don't understand. <laughs> So, a lot of times when the presence of God comes into the room, so many of you run away and you disqualify yourself. And all of a sudden, and even your mind, when you start living out of your mind, your religious mindset says, oh, you need to remember to find that person. And it disengages with the Holy Spirit. And you go away and you run away because you're afraid. You're afraid of what he's going to reveal. For people who have never experienced perfect love, perfect love is a scary thing. 
But can I tell you that perfect love is also empowering? And if you allow the perfect love to come and penetrate your heart to what has happened to the, on the cross, he, on the cross, he did a perfect job. He circumcised our hearts. It's already done. But if you allow yourself to receive that circumcision, to receive that blessing on the cross, and you allow yourself just to live in it, he comes and he takes your burdens away. That's why he says, bring your burdens. Don't be scared, my darling. Bring your burdens. Bring it. And now she chased them away because she's scared and blah, blah, blah. And now she's all of a sudden, why did I do that? This is the love of my life. When I get close to him, I feel safe. When I get close to him, when I get into him, when I accept my position as being one with him, as being the bride, then I feel good. So then listen what she does. So I must rise in search of him, looking throughout the city. Now the city here is called the local church. The city is referred to the local church. Seek, seeking until I find him. So many of us have been on this journey. We go outside of church. You're like, no, 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 I got hurt in the church. And we allow the hurt to define our relationship with him. And that's not what's, you need to just go. We just need to go. So now she's seeking him and she's seeking him and she's seeking him. And this is the problem. She, this is what a lot of us do. Even if I have to roam through every street, nothing will keep me from my search. Where is he? My soul's true love. He is nowhere to be found. Then I encountered the overseers as they encircled the city. Who are the overseers? It's moi, Linda, the leaders of the church. So what do we do? If we start seeking for Jesus, we go to the pastor, the main man. It looks like he has the glory of God on his life. Solve my problems. And I'm like, no, no, I'm on the same journey. But I'm also just seeking him. Some, not like me, will control you. Some, not like me, will shame you. But I am also, and I'm not trying to say I'm amazing, I'm just like you. I'm seeking for the love of my soul. So sometimes Jesus is going to ask you to walk past the human being that you think needs to answer, will give you the answer. He's going to ask you, walk on. Come seek me. And what is beautiful, he's never far away. So just after she encounters this overseers and asks, have you found him, my heart's true love? Just as I move past them, I encounter him. Just as, as I was about to move past human understanding, human intervention, human problems or solving, I encounter the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the lover of my soul. And that's where we are. Now look how beautiful this is. I found the one I adore. I called him and fastened myself to him, refusing to be feeble in my heart again. Now I bring him back to the temple within where I was giving new birth, into my innermost parts, the place of my conceiving. So this is what happened to me. While Jesus took me into the hospital, I just realized I want Jesus. And I let go of everything else. All the, all the, and you know what is so funny? When I let go of all my performance, I got kicked out of the church. Out you go. Isn't that the funniest thing? Because now I'm no, no value to them. So I went on this private journey with me and Jesus. It was four months from that day till my wedding day that the Lord just took me on this journey to pursue my heart. 
my, the bridegroom was pursuing my heart, and I allowed him. So we had lots of giggles. We had lots of tears. The one moment I'm laughing my head off at Jesus, the next moment I'm bursting out and crying. Why? Because he's, the love of my soul is taking care of my soul. There was one specific vision where I walked into the throne room, and between me and Jesus, where he was sitting on the throne, there was pillars with all the different people that symbolized ministries standing on the pillars. And I was still in my very much performance slave mindset. So I wanted to go to Jesus, but then I'm like, oh, no, no, he needs to have coffee. Uh, and then I go, coffee? And then, oh, no, no, this one needs, oh, he needs a tithe. Here we go. And I was ministering to the ministries, people standing there, statues. And then Jesus jumps off his throne, and he runs towards me. And as he runs towards me, he smacks these statues off, and he says, I hate idols. I hate idols. He hates it because it steals from the intimacy between you and your lover of your soul. When you tend to the idols in your heart, it steals from the intimacy between you and your lover. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm married to a jealous husband in a, in a good, jealous way. If my, he speaks to me and I'm on my phone, I get the look. Why? He wants my attention. I'm his lover. He wants my attention. So I put down my phone. Our phones are being put down at 4 o'clock in the afternoons. We put away our phones. We pick it up again at 7 if we need to. Otherwise, we just leave them. Because it's intimate time. You and me, baby, and our kids in between. This is a love story. You and Jesus, love story. Not a working story. Not how great can I be story. It's a love story. But listen, we go to verse 6. Who is this one ascending from the wilderness in the pillar of glory of cloud? He is fragrant with the anointing oils of myrrh and frankincense, more fragrant than all the spices of the merchant. Look, it's the king's marriage carriage. You know, he forgot to tell her, listen, dude, when we go up the mountain, I've got the marriage carriage. You don't have to walk. We're going to go with the angels up the mountain because I've already done it. I've already done it. I've already prepared the way, marriage carriage, going up. And then he says, he explains the marriage carriage, and he explains, listen how beautiful this is. The love seat surrounded by 60 champions, the mightiest of Israel's hosts, are like pillars of protection. So as you encounter him and he takes you up to the, the throne, the throne room, you are protected. You are protected. You know, angels' job is to protect us. So please let them do their jobs. And don't tempt them, please. Um... There are angelic warriors standing ready with swords to defend the king and his fiancée from every terror of the night. The king made his mercy seat for himself out of the finest wood that will not decay. Pillars of smoke like silver mists. A canopy of golden glory dwells above it. The place where they sit together are sprinkled with crimson. Love and mercy cover the carriage. Blanketing his tabernacle throne, the king himself has made it for those who will become his bride. Isn't it beautiful? He prepared the way. All that we can do, our only option is to sit down. Just sit down. Sit down. 
Then he says, listen, my dearest darling, um, Song of Songs 4, you are so beautiful. You are beauty itself to me. Your eyes glisten with love like gentle doves behind your veil. What is the other symbol? Dove symbolizes something else in the Bible. Holy Spirit. So when he looks into your eyes, he sees the Holy Spirit. He doesn't see what you did yesterday. He doesn't see your anger problems. He doesn't see your needs. He sees the Holy Spirit. He sees the Holy Spirit. What devotion I see each time I gaze upon, you know, in your books it says the sheep of Gilead running down. <laughs> your hair is like the sheep of Gilead. There we go. And if you just need to understand that long hair in the biblical times symbolized devotion to Christ. So what it's saying here, that's why it's translated in the Passion Translation, what devotion I see each time I gaze upon you. Isn't that beautiful? You might have thought, oh, gosh, I haven't prayed this today. And he's like, I just see devotion. Why? Because you're one with him. Have you seen what Jesus has done on the cross? Have you seen what he's done on the cross? It's perfect. It's a perfect sacrifice. You cannot add to it. You cannot add to it. So your devotion is captivated in his devotion towards you. It's the same thing. So easily we allow guilt about yesterday's troubles to come and steal from our relationship with him. You are like a sacrifice ready to be offered. When I look at you, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure like a lamb, washed and newly shorn. You now show grace and balance with truth on display. Your lips are as lovely as Rahab's scarlet ribbon, speaking mercy, speaking grace. The words of your mouth are as refreshing as an oasis. What pleasure you bring to me. I see your blushing cheeks, open like halves of pomegranate, showing through your veil of tender meekness. When I look at you, I see your inner strength, so stately and so strong. You are secure as David's fortress. Your virtues and grace cause a thousand famous soldiers to surrender to your beauty. Pitch up, girls. If you pitch up, they fall. If you pitch up, you as a Christian in this week, and you walk into any building where any kind of evil runs, and you just pitch up, they run. They run. Because this is who you are. You are the glorious, radiant bride, not by your choice, but by his. This is a bridegroom pursuing his bride, and he's saying, you are mine. You are mine. This is not a meek Jesus. This is not a gentle Jesus. He's raising a warrior bride. Pitch up. As you move into this community, don't apologize for yourself. Just pitch up. I, sp- I spoke to Aleti Winkler. I don't know if you know about her, but she's Heinz Winkler's wife. And she's got a very powerful ministry. And I was driving here, and the Lord said to me, I want you to tell her, release peace. And I'm like, that's a random story. But anyway, so I phoned her, and I said, listen, this is what I felt. The Lord says, release peace. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. I've been praying about a situation for weeks now, both Hans and I. We don't know what's going on. It's just chaos, but I'm going to do that. So she released peace. The next day, the report came back. Thank you, Linda. It shifted. You carry it inside of you. You carry the glory inside of you to move and shift atmospheres 
to operate on a realm, the glory realm, with him, sitting with your king of kings and the throne, and you are with him, declaring, decreeing over earth. What is our roles on earth to be sons of God, to rule and reign as he does? So pitch up. You want to see healings? Speak it. If you're a, a school teacher and kids are being all cray-cray, speak peace. My daughter, who you have noticed, is a two-year-old, so sometimes she does challenge me. But since she was a baby, we blessed her spirit. We blessed the spirit when she goes to sleep. So we commanded her soul to sit down and the spirit to rise up. And she's been sleeping through from the six weeks. She's the best sleeper of both my kids because she's in peace. When your spirit man leads, peace goes with it. Joy, peace, and what is the other one? Love. In the, king, in the Holy Spirit, that is the kingdom of God. But we need to live in the spirit. Righteousness. Thank you. Joy, peace, and righteousness in the, in, in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. Anyway. So we're going to keep on going with the Song of Songs. There's so much more. That's only chapter 4. I mean, there's the end where she realizes how powerful she is. But the reason why I want to speak about this today is because I want to awaken your souls to be aware of the pursuit of the bridegroom during the week. Just be aware. And I want to encourage you to really take off the filthy rags. You know, what is a filthy rag? That's your action to try to get his attention. You don't have to do action to try and get his attention. To speak, he listens. When you open your mouth, he say, what are you saying, my darling, my bride? When you worship him, you overcome him. That's why you're called more than an overcomer, because you're overcoming the overcomer when you worship him. He's enthralled with your beauty. He's enthralled with your mankind. There's nothing that you can touch that doesn't excite him. But we so easily live out of our minds and we forget about the spirit so I was seeing this prophetic picture now this is a talit about the Lord Elsie I want you to come and stand here please so Elsie is now the bride coming in to the king of king the glory of glory you can turn and just look at the people and he's clothing her with his righteous robes beautiful this gold, this blue, he's clothing her with his righteous robes. This is what you look like in the, in the spirit, fully clothed by him, carrying his righteousness, his kindness, his joy, and it's yours because you're one. So I don't want you to ever look differently. Don't go into the throne room with your filthy rags. Just leave it at the door. Otherwise, he's going to take it off. You can keep it on and can just sit down, my friend. It's anointed, eh? <laughs> I'm going to end here with, with a song. When, when I, in this four months, as I was preparing for my wedding day, um, I didn't go on a diet. <laughs> I went on a heavenly diet. In fact, I gained weight before my wedding. I was the only bride that had to make the dress bigger from the beginning to the end. Anyway, doesn't matter. I was feasting. <laughs> and a friend of mine came to me and she said to me, Linda, you're not only a physical bride, you're also a prophetic bride to the bridegroom. And she gave me this song, and I first thought, um, listener, 
I first thought this is a, this is a very bad song. I don't understand. This is too much information song. But the more I listened to it, the more I accepted my role as the bride. And I started playing the song as I walked down the aisle. And there was not one person except me that didn't have tears. And all of them were worshiping, worshiping Jesus. No one looked at me. All of them were worshiping, worshiping Jesus. There was a guy standing like this, just worshiping Jesus as the song played. And I want to, I'm going to play this song. Before, I'm just going to quickly pray. And I'm going to play this song. And I want you to move into bride mode. Just move. Whatever it is, take off the filthy rags. Whatever it is, just leave it at the door and just listen to your bridegroom pursuing you. So, Father God, we just come before you tonight, today, and we love you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your absolute love and devotion towards us as your people. We thank you for your sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that you have made on the cross that made us one with you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will touch us now, that you'll meet us where we're at. In Jesus' name. We're going to open the altar so you can come to the front, take communion, but this is you and the bridegroom time. Thanks, Ron. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than Your love is better than wine Pleasing is the fragrance The fragrance of your perfume Your name is like a perfume poured out No wonder the maidens love you Take me Bring me into this chain. 